Leslie, you're a natural. I think they should have had you an MC many times before. You're really good. I was set free in prison. The night of my crime, I called out to God in a simple prayer. Help me. I had little faith that he would, though. I have two older chihuahuas that I call my furry blessings, and it's through them I see a lot of my relationship with God. In order for them to be happy and healthy, I have to take them to the vet for their own good. They don't see the trip to the vet as any kind of good. They don't have logic and reasoning to understand I'm really trying to just help them. They put on the chihuahua brakes. You ever seen a chihuahua put on the skins? When they, no, no, don't want to go, don't want to go. And then they run left instead of forward. One tries to tiptoe out the door, and he's a large, large dude. And he's trying to tiptoe like I'm not going to notice he's going the wrong way. And the female makes the ultimate statement. She just lets loose a chihuahua poop bomb. <laughs> Finally, they give me the ultimate defense. If you love me, why are you making me suffer? When they do that, I think of how I am with God, and I don't see it as good. Why are you making me suffer? I spoke at a church a few years ago, and afterwards a young lady remarked that I reminded her of a leper. Now that was an attention-getting one-liner. <laughs> Being a woman, I'm starting to, is it the outfit, you know, is it the hair? Why would someone call me a leper? Finally, I worked up the courage to ask why she was reminded of a leper when she looked at me. <laughs> And she said, I reminded her of the biblical story of the ten lepers who were healed. And only one went back to thank Jesus. So, oh, okay, you can call me a leper. That's fine. <laughs> I didn't see it as good in that one liner. But now I understand this is good. Okay. Do we brace ourselves for the bad that we think will come? And how much faith do we put in God's answer? to our cries, help me. The year was 1993. Very little was known about battered women. When the police were called by the neighbors hearing my screams, the police never failed to ask what I did to make them hit me. This was the era where rape victims were judged for what they wore. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, times have gotten a little bit better since then. I was convicted in a jury trial for attempted murder, and I was sentenced to an indefinite time in prison. By going to prison, I was leaving everything behind that I knew and going into a journey I wasn't prepared for in any way. I was now the property of the state of Ohio, known as inmate number 33337. I was really angry at God for allowing me to go to prison. I also blamed him for the sexual abuse and trauma in my early childhood that led me to making poor 
choices as an adult. I really just wanted to be loved, and how hard can that be? I blamed God for a lot of things, and quite frankly, we weren't on speaking terms. His answer to my prayer of God help me is prison. So what is prison like? I don't watch the shows on TV, so I don't know about that orange-black show, but, so I can't give a comparison. But when I arrived in prison, you get to keep nothing except a Bible. You're housed in a unit called admissions, while medical staff decides if you have contagious diseases or mental health issues. They also put you into a certain security status. Once you're cleared medically, you go into what's known as general population. That usually means a dorm. You're given a, a prison job. For that prison job, you will make a whopping total of $18 a month. Some specialized jobs may pay a few dollars more, but you'll never make the big bucks. My first work assignment was on third shift in Chow Hall. It was a job that was physically draining and I had no, no idea that I, what I was getting into. But we had to make breakfast for 2,000 women. One resident would spend the whole night cracking eggs and it was my job to scramble. We had big, big, huge vats that you had to step onto a platform and my um, tool to scramble the eggs was a plastic pitcher. So I would just stand there and the sweat would be pouring down my head and I, over and over and over again I'm scrambling these eggs and night after night I was just so devastated and so defeated being in prison and having to scramble eggs and the misery of sleeping in a dormitory with a hundred other women. And yet there's a saying in prison that when you're flat on your back the only way to look is up. So I went on ahead and I said a prayer to God. And I said, Lord, please don't make me have to scramble another egg while I'm in prison. I didn't have much um, confidence that he would take me off of scrambled egg duty. But the next night I went into work and to my shock and amazement, the prison staff supervisor told me that she was putting me in diet kitchen, which was a population of a lot less, and I didn't have to scramble another egg. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I was housed in living quarters with a hundred other women in a basement of a very old building. The ceiling was falling down, the plumbing leaked, the noise level was horrible. To get out of this dorm living and for no other reason, I put in a request to go to the tapestry program. That's where you get smaller cells and no large dorms. It's also a behavior modification program. It helps you change the behaviors that brought you to prison, like being in abusive relationships, substance abuse. Tapestry told us we were weaving our way to freedom, although we didn't weave rugs, but rather our lives intertwined with one another to have freedom from whatever brought us to prison. It was in Tapestry I received help to address my childhood sexual trauma issues. But prison also offered a program called Kairos. Kairos is the Greek word for in God's special time. 
Twice a year, 42 women in prison are chosen to go to a spiritual non-denominational weekend. It's like an uh, Emmaus walk, if anyone's ever gone on that. It was there that I learned God wanted to be my friend. Well, I'd give that a try, especially since they're handing me homemade cookies. If you, if you want to talk your religious stuff to me, I'll listen to you if you come, come with uh, cookies. They also give you a Bible. And I've never seen a Bible that didn't have these and thous in it. And to me, that was like having to do Shakespeare, and I really didn't understand Shakespeare. And the first story I read in this Bible that Kairos gave me was Peter being freed from prison. I liked knowing the God that I was trying to be friends with. Didn't need a lawyer. The appellate courts or the Supreme Court. He just sent you angels. So I began to read the Bible for other answers. I was doing my best to find my way back to God who could set you free with an angel. My Cairo sister, Denny, suggested God might like me to go to church. Oh man, you gotta know what church is like in prison. You really, there's only one Protestant service. And many of the women that go to this service are not there for church. They're there for shifty and shady stuff that you can do in church, which I didn't do. And actually, I discovered, because I used to do body toning, they had a little weight cage in there, I discovered that the church time was the best time to go tone your, your body up because everyone was signed up for church. So I told her, I said, I think God would want me to work on my temple called the body, or body called temple, or however that is. Yeah. But she kept saying God wanted me to be in church. Okay, I'm going to humor her. I would pray about it. I was certain I knew God would want me in, in the body toning room. So I said this prayer. Lord, let me know without a doubt if I should body tone or go to church. <laughs> Sunday came, and as I was ready to go to the weight room, the prison went into lockdown. Two young ladies were fighting in another unit. Lockdowns are a security measure that affects all the people in prison, not just the hostile parties. But it was Sunday, and the only place if you had to leave your unit that they, you, they would let you go to was church. <laughs> but I still wasn't convinced that this is without a doubt. And I met my friend at church, and the preacher began the sermon entitled, it's good to keep your body in shape, but you need to keep your soul in shape more. <laughs> I later learned on my journey with um, God, it's not about what you like or don't like about church. It's about worshiping God in any circumstances. Now food, ah, food. Food is very important to those in prison. Maybe other women would dream about some movie star. I was busy dreaming about roast turkey. <laughs> we were served mystery meats, greasy and disgusting. Our small amount of state pay had to cover toiletries, medical co-pays, envelopes home. We could buy snacks at commissary if you had someone sending your money from home. At one really bad chow hall meal, 
I was taught how to pray before I ate. This meal was the worst I've ever seen it. They called it pork balls. And I'm not sure what part of the pig it came from. <laughs> then they poured barbecue sauce over it. And now the mystery balls were floating in grease. And I was so hungry. I told my friend Demi I'd be a hypocrite if I prayed for these pork balls and thanks. She suggested I give thanks for the nourishment of my body, the ability to eat it. Because there are those in the third world countries who are very grateful for this meal, and those in hospice who are unable to eat it and would be able to have the ability to eat it. So I figure my mother sent her actually when she did all that. <laughs> Reminded me of when my mother used to make me cow tongue. It's good for you. No, it's not. <laughs> God gave me a ministry I never asked for while I was in prison. And I called it Bunky from Hell Ministry. What is a bunky? A bunky is a woman that you're in a two-man cell with. And, and that's just actually, that's not right. It wasn't two men. It wasn't one man. It was a woman you never wanted to be locked in a room with. So we called them bunkies because in that room that you were locked in with this uh, less than desirable woman was a bunk bed, a toilet, and a sink. There was a bunkie named Patty. There's no words to rhyme with bunky where Patty is. All the rest of my bunkies from hell were spunky bunkies, junky bunkies, grumpy bunkies, lumpy bunkies. <laughs> but Patty was indescribable. She moved into that small cell with me. And that first night, I went to look for my toothbrush. Now, it's tiny, tiny little room, and I can't find my toothbrush. Patty. Have you seen my toothbrush? And she gets a big old sly smile on her face and goes to the corner of our cell and picks up this now dirt blackened toothbrush. Oh, was this one yours? I used it to clean the cell floor. <sighs> okay, Patty, I forgive you. Every day, Patty would do something to me that required forgiveness. Finally, I sought out my prayer and share partners, my spiritual friends, and I said, how many times am I supposed to forgive her? <laughs> seven? They said, no, right here, the Bible says seven times 70. Well, I may be blonde, but I know that's, that's 490, and that's way too much. Um, <laughs> but then I calmed down because I realized I'd already forgiven her about 300, but who's counting? <laughs> Only had 190 more forgiveness times to to go, then maybe I could knock her upside the head or something. <laughs> but prior to reaching 490, I was transferred to another prison, Northeast Pre-Release Center. Before I left, Patty hugged me and shyly whispered that she always wanted to know what a Christian was like. Every time I forgave her a wrong, she picked up the Bible to learn about the God who forgives wrongs. Now, Patty was a heavy smoker and had cancer before she left prison. She ultimately lost the battle of cancer and died shortly after her release. But I'd like to believe she made it to the pearly gates of heaven. And when she saw St. Peter, she said, Sheila sent me. 
Because I learned about this God that forgives. I was a monkey from home ministry. After eight and a half years in prison, I went before the parole board. I thought they would release me. I came with them with 80 programs, no disciplinary tickets, and I thought I should go home. They disagreed. They told me to come back in three years due to the nature of my crime. I was devastated. I did manage to leave the building without breaking down because I still had a facade I needed to keep intact. And the woman who met me outside of that building listened to me and she hugged me and she cared. But she also was serving 150 years to life. And I realized that the angel that God had sent me to listen to my cries that day would have given anything to trade places with me. Little did I know on that day God would use that woman to put a ministry in my heart when I got out of prison. Those are some of the people that we minister to. They call the pro board calls them the worst of the worst. I kind of felt angry at God because where were you in that parole hearing? You let me down, I thought you were my friend. I prayed for strength to endure. He sent me more trials. Then I realized that trials are what bring you strength and endurance. When I grasped that, I tried to take my prayer of strength back. I didn't like trials. Not being able to do that, I decided in the future I'd be a smart prayer lawyer and figure out ways to pray that wouldn't create hardships for myself. Like I put in a subsection clause that says, in the event said prayer person does not know what she's asking for, she'll be allowed to retract it and not be brought to hard testing. <laughs> Why couldn't he just wave a wand and make me strong? When I went before the pro board yet another time, I was told I was never going home. This time, instead of feeling hopeless, I felt a sense of victory. Oh, my goodness, I've lost my mind. <laughs> But God was about to bring my miracle, even though I couldn't see it. See, when a situation looks the most hopeless, that's when God changes everything. By now, he was also my comforter. He sent me three spiritual people who assured me I was going home. The prison chaplain called for me, and she said, just hold on. You're going home. The Bible study teacher told me, you're going home. The prison priest told me, Sheila, you're going home, all within one week's time. But how could this be? Oh, I think it's that faith stuff, isn't it? The stuff that you can't see but are supposed to believe in. Okay, faith. Unknown to me, a head prosecutor had been elected to the office in my county who had become instrumental to my release. Also, a lawsuit against the pro board was about to be won. These two unknowns would prove to be my miracle in getting my freedom. Sure enough, those spiritual people were right. I was going to be set free from prison. He didn't send me an angel like he sent Peter, but it was definitely God's own miracle just for me. And you know what? Another ministry was born when I went into the free world, which would later um, help the women who have to go to parole hearings. 
my best friend and I go back into the prisons and help these women better interview with the parole board. The chaplain told me that God loves the parole board too. At the time I thought, well what happened to my enemies are his enemies. But she says, God loves them too. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? When someone you can't stand, God loves them too. Okay, the day is arriving. I'm finally going to leave July 3rd, 2006. Yay, that's 12 years next week. The procedure before going home is to send us to pre-release classes for two weeks. This is to prepare us to re-enter in society, whether you've been there six months or 13 years. The most memorable class was the one that taught me how to put a condom on a banana, <laughs> telling me that unprotected sex would prevent AIDS. I just like to add a side note here that I have yet in my 12 years of freedom found a need to put on a condom on a banana, which you never know. <laughs> so there we were at the entrance building waiting to be released. When someone's released from prison, they're given $75 in cash. That's what you're supposed to start your new life with, 75 bucks. One woman said she's going to use her $75 to go get a man. And I tried to picture what a $75 man looked like. <laughs> I couldn't quite see that one. It was a hard picture. Another said she's going to use her $75, go to a bar because she deserved to get drunk. Then it was my turn. I told him I'm going to a church, any church that welcomed me. And I'm going to dedicate my life in the free world to God. And I give that church $75 for welcoming me. They all gave me one old look and turned their backs to me and went on talking about shopping, men, and bars. Well, I did go to a church. And I did dedicate my life to God in the free world. I thanked him for bringing me through 13 years of incarceration. Then I went to Perkins. And I had eggs over easy and stick. <laughs> my friend who I'd known since before prison who supported me during my incarceration offered to let me go live with her after I left prison. When we went to the restaurant to get my steak and eggs, I discovered the world had a new invention. I went to use the restroom and I could not find the handle to flush the toilet. <laughs> I felt kind of dumb not knowing how hard is it, you know, where, what happened to the handle. <laughs> and I stepped away and the toilet flushed. <laughs> oh, wow. Somehow the toilet knew how to flush itself. They didn't have this stuff in prison, trust me on that one. I pictured a guy maybe in a control center saying, flush needed in segment 13. <laughs> then I started thinking about it. Why does anyone think that's a great invention anyhow? Maybe they had too much time on their hands while I was gone. My next introduction to technology was to a cell phone. See, in 1993, they had these things called cordless phones, and those are really bad one day, yeah. Uh, while I was incarcerated, the world took off in technology, and I wasn't there to learn it or keep up with it. Oh, yeah, I really liked a cell phone. I was really, you know, wow, this is almost as good as Dick Tracy with the, with the watch, you know? <laughs> And I would just study it, and I would just be amazed by it. My friend says I looked like I was about to detonate something. But to me, it was like, wow, this is wonderful. 
I still keep up with, um, I have an iPhone now, and sometimes I'll be with someone and they'll, they'll hand me their phone and they'll say, can you help me with this feature? And I'll say, I was locked up for 13 years. What's your story? <laughs> I needed an alarm clock to get me up in time to go to appointments. My friend brought me in a digital clock and an instruction book that was three pages or three inches thick. What happened to the clocks that you pull out a button and shuffle a button? <laughs> this is progress. I had to learn how to use an ATM machine. I was afraid someone would know I'd been incarcerated because I couldn't figure out how to use an ATM machine. I'm frozen at this ATM machine trying to figure out what does it want from me. My friend made me go back and stand up to my fear of an ATM machine. I learned how to take money out. Next trick was learning how to put in more than you take out. That's, that's <laughs> if you've been locked up for 13 years, your driver's license has expired. That means you have to learn how to drive all over again, which came back to me, but that was a good problem. They have this thing called orange cone maneuverability test. I don't know who thought of it. Maybe the guy who thought of the banana condom idea. I don't know. <laughs> You're supposed to wind in and out of these, and that's supposed to make you a person who can drive on the roads. Um, I practiced and I practiced. And then I flunked the test and I annihilated an innocent orange cone. <laughs> And the stone-faced highway patrol tester told me, stop the car. <laughs> I guess that means I flunked, right? <laughs> I was really discouraged. I mean, oh, how hard can this be? Then I thought about it. Look at all the fools they have on the road. They won't pass this test. I'm a fool. I can pass this test. <laughs> so I aspired to the people on the on the highway that drive less than wonderful lot because I can be like them, I can pass the test, and on the third try I got my driver's license. Yay! <laughs> Do you know that every four years, months ahead of time, I mark it on my calendar. Driver's license renewal because I really, really don't think I could do that orange cone thing again <laughs> if I let it expire. I worked a daytime job and an evening waitress job. One of the blessings of living in America is you can work as many jobs as your body can handle. They released me when I was age 54. So you can imagine my body telling me about this two job thing as I laid on the bed with about four hours of sleep and my body was screaming at me. But God blessed us in America. You can work as many jobs as you want as a convicted felon and you will find companies that will will give you jobs. They don't pay you a lot of money. You're not going to be CEO, but they will pay you um, something to live on. <laughs> After two years, I was able to afford a small down payment on a small condominium. It's, uh, I still have that condominium. It's almost to Amelia. I had the courage to seek out a reputable finance company, and I applied for a mortgage. I told the loan officer I was a convicted felon, why I had gone to prison, and I'd been out of prison for two years, and I thought maybe he'd throw me out of the office, but he didn't. 
In fact, him and his sister helped me to get the mortgage. I was so impressed by their kindness that I asked them what church they went to. I wanted to go to that church and meet more people like them. That church was Marymount Community Church. In addition to finding a new church, a friend brought me a four-month-old Chihuahua puppy and said I needed this dog to make my condo complete. I named him Gutsky because that little Chihuahua was fearless. Well, except when he went to the vets. <laughs> my first few times going to Marymount Church made me wonder, is I going to fit in? Because to me, a convicted felon coming out of prison, these look like some highfalutin folks. And highfalutin folks may not want to sit next to me, and in fact, they might want to take their purse and move on down from me because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who was in prison. I was ready to tell these people, I don't steal. I shoot husbands, only shot one. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they wouldn't think I'm going to steal their purse. <laughs> but I was wrong. They welcomed me. They didn't judge me. And in fact, they started a prison ministry. I have several Marymont um, people in this, in this room today and a couple going to prison with me too. It's just amazing how what we perceive how people are going to be, they turn around and be the nicest people in the whole world. Okay. By the time someone has ended up in prison, they've affected more than themselves and the choices they made before going to prison. If they have a victim, it isn't just about the victim either. It's affected the victim's family, their own family, and any children. Many women in prison have experienced childhood sexual trauma. We're kind of the throwaway kids that no one protected. And as a result of our trauma, we made really bad choices when we became adults. Many women in prison are also mothers, me included. My poor choices were the legacies I left my daughter. While I was in prison, my daughter was using drugs and alcohol. My release from prison and my spiritual walk with God did not inspire her to stop this lifestyle. She chose men who were abusive to her. It's a terrible thing to see your child with stitches and bruises. One day I received a phone call that my daughter was in the hospital. Her liver was failing from all the alcohol and drugs she consumed. She was only 36. My once very beautiful daughter was now a yellow skeleton weighing 90 pounds. The hardest thing in the world is forgive yourself for the choices your child makes and to see her lying in bed with so much pain. My last words to her were this. I need to see you again in heaven. So we have to talk about God. She whispered back in a little girl's voice, but what if God doesn't want me? In that one sentence, I felt all the guilt and shame crashing down on me. But you know what? I knew a God who has forgiven me, and I knew I was forgiven. I was instead able to rise up and not be drowned by the guilt and shame that came. 
at that moment, and I was able to tell her about the God who does love her, and he loves even a sinner like me. I was able to tell her how much God loved her more than I loved her. She passed away January 26, 2009, but I'm comforted to know that I'll see her again in heaven. She left the world a beautiful legacy, my granddaughter. I've been serving God through various prison ministries as soon as I was allowed back into prison as a volunteer. I was a volunteer to serve on Kairos weekends many, many times, but especially after my daughter passed away, because see, I knew now by serving God, I felt closer to him, and he alone could give me comfort. And I began wanting a partner to share the ministry with, to help with responsibilities, and to love me. I knew my choice in men probably wasn't going to be very good still, so I prayed and I asked God to choose a husband for me. I had a little bucket list I gave him. <laughs> I asked that he'd be a man who loved God, who loved the people in prison, and who loved my dog. <laughs> I didn't see how I was going to get this husband because all my spare time is spent with women. <laughs> but one Kairos weekend, I was at Ohio Reformatory for Women, and the people watching Gutsky for me had an emergency. I would have to leave the prison and go home. But one Kairos volunteer says, wait, I know this man named Lex Luther. And anyone who doesn't know, that's Superman's arch enemy, okay? <laughs> but he didn't have anything against chihuahuas, so we were cool with that. <laughs> um, he left his Dayton home, drove to Cincinnati, picked up my dog, and kept my dog for the remainder of the time I needed to spend that weekend in Kairos in prison. He also served on Kairos in the men's prisons. And he had a dog of his own. This was the man God chose for me to marry. I never specified how he should look, because, you know, it, it doesn't matter. But God threw in good-looking. <laughs> Lex and I have been married six years, and it's a very important part of this ministry. I've learned that prayer is powerful. So I learned to set free my enemies by praying for my enemies. The biggest obstacle I had to overcome was unforgiveness of my childhood sex abuser. I prayed for him as Daniel did for the sins of his people. I prayed that even if he never repented for stealing my childhood innocence, let him be forgiven anyway. I believe he made it to heaven based on my prayers. I even prayed for the pro board because God loves them too. <laughs> I pray for them and sometimes manage not to give an eye roll afterwards. <laughs> All those times I thought God had abandoned me, like at my parole hearings, or really ministries being born into my heart. Today I go back to all the women's prisons in Ohio with different events through the Tapestry of Love Ministry. One of our themes is to thank and honor the worst of the worst, like the 150 to life lady like the woman who's 19 years old doing life without parole. There's a lot of hurting wounded people 
that God has called us to remember in prison like we were in prison with them. They have choices in how they serve their time. We hold events in which we thank them for how they're serving their time, for helping others when they don't have to, and for being wonderful servants of God. It's an emotionally charged day with plenty of encouragement and love, right, Lisa? Yeah, right, Lynn? Yeah. <laughs> we, we also give Christmas parties and send Christmas gifts home. See, the prison gives you $18, three hots and a cot, and a pair of white socks every six months, and you're cold. You're cold and you want something pretty, so we provide warm, pretty socks, headbands, toiletries. And let, let me make a side note on that toiletry. Can you imagine the only shampoo that you're going to get to choose from is VO5 shampoo? Not that there's anything bad about that shampoo, but we as women have different needs for our hair. For example, mine is curly and coarse, and maybe yours is straight. So we like to have choices, but in prison, you don't get those kind of choices. You have to buy what they um, provide for you. So my heart goes to the people in prison that we serve so that they have nicer shampoos, that they have nicer bars of soap. Nowhere else in this world could you go where someone, someone gets so ecstatic about a bar of caress soap. <laughs> Oh, soap, yeah, ooh, and they smell it, and it's ooh, ah, and talk about it. So it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to bring pretty nice things into these women and tell them that they're loved. We had a life event uh, where we served lifers at DCI at Christmas time, and we served honey-baked ham, and we served shrimp cocktail, and we just provided gifts for their families to, to send home. And the families, remember, they're affected by, by their loved one in prison. And they just stopped me and they said, why are you doing this for us? And I say, because God loves you too. So they, the families were shown unconditional love by some of what we do. Because God does love them too and the shame goes beyond the actual resident in prison, it goes to the families, the loved ones, the kids, and we try and help, help them with that too. God gave me a BFFAE. That's best friend forever and ever. <laughs> she used to be a BFF, but she's been upgraded to BFFAE. <laughs> you might want to remember that one. Yeah, I say, God, upgrade them, you know. <laughs> she's pretty much the opposite of me she's logical methodical does research and I'm the visionary I just see the big picture and come follow me and let's figure out what we're going to do once we get there <laughs> bless her heart she was just a humble kind kindergarten teacher and then she met me <laughs> she probably never dreamed she'd go into prison after, after meeting me. She keeps me on track, loves me despite my many mess-ups in the ministry. She's amazingly faithful to the prison ministry. She puts in more time than anybody I know in this ministry. Just those little things on the, on the table she's framed and the uh, cards out there she's put into plastic holders. I mean, Teresa's an amazing woman. Everyone who serves as a volunteer 
in my prison ministry. It's amazing who God sends you to go inside the prison and, and to meet these women who God loves just as much as anybody else. And they're having another chance in life too, just like I got another chance. So it takes a real heart because remember one July, we got rained on as soon as we walked into the prison. It rained real hard and we had to walk around like we'd taken a shower in our underwear. You know, it was just horrible. You were soaked to your underwear. The wind was just beating on us and we had to go clear across the prison. And uh, one of my uh, volunteer friends took us to Walmart at lunch break and got us some uh, ponchos, rain ponchos, so that we would stay a little bit more dry. I still have that rain poncho. You know, God gives us undeserved grace. He, he gives it to us whether we deserve it or not, and I don't think any of us deserves it. Like he gave me a BFFAE, and I never had a best friend like that before. This last Mother's Day, my beautiful granddaughter sent me a text. In it, she said, Nana, I didn't know you before you went to prison, so I don't know what kind of person you were back then. But the woman I know now is kind, loving, generous, caring, and I'm so proud to call you my grandmother. I know my mother would be proud of you too. And she's smiling in heaven down on you. That, my friends, is undeserved grace. Like the story about being called a leper, I thought going to prison was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Instead, I was set free and became brand new. Isn't that a mighty God that we serve? Thank you for hearing me. Thank you.